0: Golden Spiral Media presents Dark Matter, a fan podcast dedicated to Extant on CBS. Each week, Mike and Dave explore the mysteries, characters, and drama that unfold on Extant, and they want to hear from you too. Send in your thoughts by calling 304-837-2278 or visiting goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Dave.
1: Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of Dark Matter, an extant podcast. My name is
0: Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number three, where we'll be talking about season one, episode three of the CBS summer event series, Extant. This episode is entitled, Wish You Were Here, and aired July 23rd, 2014. And this installment was written by Mickey
1: Fisher, show creator, and it was directed by Holly Dale, who's a Canadian director known for all of our favorite Canadian shows, Stargate Atlantis, Sarah Connor Chronicles, etc. But what I thought was interesting, I actually had to ask Mickey Fisher on Twitter during his live tweet, whether or not This was part of the pilot script or he wrote this one after the fact, because I I didn't think he was going to be writing any more episodes for season one.
0: Yeah, I think he certainly led us to believe that was the case. And in fact, I think he pointed out that it was something that was difficult for him to deal with, Yeah, almost giving up his child for others to raise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's very Ethan-like, but uh, I didn't get an answer to it, so I don't really know. Uh, That'd be interesting to find out whether or not this was penned after the pilot script or whether it was kind of spread out over the two episodes. But anyway, I'll talk about the live tweet in a second, because that was a really fun part of this episode. But first, I want to mention the new opening sequence, which has taken that thing that I think people have started to really hate, but I can see how it's useful. And that's the narrative opening sequence. And Halle Berry's character Molly says, I went to space on a 13-month solo mission. I didn't come home alone. My husband created a lifelike android, a humanic. His name is Ethan. He's the prototype. This is the story about Earth, a story about family, and a story about surviving. So kind of a choppy, (laughs) to be honest, opening sequence, but I hope they'll only keep it around long enough for people to acclimate to the show.
0: Well, and and I on the one hand, I think it's good because anytime you've got a serial, especially a science fiction serial, uh, especially one that's got conspiracy at its heart, I think it's good to bring in new viewers and give them some idea of what they're jumping into. I mean, it doesn't tell a lot, and in fact, it it can be misconstrued uh, as if the husband created the lifelike android while she was on this mission, which is, of course, not true.
1: Yeah, it it creates a little confusion, and and that's because the plot lines are spread so far out. So, interesting opening sequence. I know that people are not usually a big fan of that. It serves a purpose, but hopefully we'll get a nice opening credit sequence either this season or next. Uh, but the one fun thing that I was worried wouldn't happen since there are so few cast members on Twitter is the live tweet, which I have to say is extremely distracting <laughs> during watching the show. Uh, I'm just not used to how distracting it is. Even even the continuum tweets that we followed along with were not nearly as distracting.
0: And when you say we, you mean you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I even made some uh, kind of large errors in my Den of Geek blogs because I think I just wasn't paying close enough attention. But it was fun because Sergio Harford, who's on there every week, he plays uh, Marcus and he's always tweeting. But Mickey Fisher also was taking questions. I unfortunately was not able to squeeze one through. He must have been getting bombarded anyway. But he did pick up on one of the memes that has been showing up on online with regard to Extant. There's a movie called Ghost. That Whoopi Goldberg and Demi Moore, do you remember that movie? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, the famous pottery scene and all that. But there's a line that Whoopi Goldberg says in that when she's basically interpreting on behalf of uh, the dead husband. (laughs) And she says to Demi Moore's character, Molly, you in danger, girl. And people have been picking up on that and using that picture of Whoopi Goldberg throughout the live tweets and the show folks picked up on that as well. And I also noticed something on Twitter. One of the people mentioned something that no one has picked up on so far. And that is that they were so careful with all the gravity effects in the space station. But the fact that Halle Berry's tear when she's going in for the kiss with Marcus and she blacks out, the tear actually falls in a weightless environment, that's not how tears act in, in weightlessness. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of a fun little Easter egg that someone found on Twitter as well.
0: All right. Well, uh, speaking of Easter eggs, the uh, hopefully there's going to be something good hidden in the center uh, of the ratings. And, you know, they dipped to 6.4 million viewers and a 1.1 share up against NBC's America's Got Talent for the first time. And, you know, summer is just such a difficult period to really get a good handle on because for instance you could say that extant won its time slot but the shows it was up against were running rebroadcasts
1: well america's got talent is usually on tuesdays right but it had its second night of judging because it's been it's been on in auditions for a while right so now uh yeah it's gonna have to compete with america's got talent so i don't think that's a dip that anyone should be alarmed about it's just that now it's got new competition and nbc's America's Got Talent did win the week so far.
0: Right. Now, Variety notes that in its first two weeks, Extant saw its averages grow by six-tenths of a ratings point in the 18 to 49 and 2.2 million viewers overall when comparing same-night ratings to the live plus three-day numbers, which are increasingly becoming the numbers that advertisers are finally looking at
1: right we are reporting ratings uh, as soon as we do our podcast which actually is the early ratings (laughs) right so yeah the the live plus three day is much more accurate and apparently extant is doing quite well
0: yeah i mean look i think most of us especially it seems with genre fans we don't watch anything live unless we're podcasting it and (laughs) and we need to
1: that's right i think a lot of people are catching it on amazon prime as well because that's a deal that they made so But let's dive right into our Dark Matter episode
0: discussion. Yeah, really a strong episode. I feel like we're saying this each week. And and I I just do not understand fans that claim that they're moving too slowly. Because I I think they're moving pretty quickly. And they're throwing stuff out there on an episode-by-episode basis And they're giving us some answers, but again, just like any good show in this category, they're raising new questions. So obviously something's wrong with Molly, and a lot of this episode revolves around that. Her fears are beginning to manifest themselves much, much more noticeably, to the point where she can't hide it from her husband anymore. And and even the friends at her little party can see something strange is going on with her.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think you're right about the pacing uh, people tend to talk about the pacing within the episode, but you really got to look at the pacing of the series at large after only three episodes getting into this really action packed stuff, really.
0: Yeah. Now, the other thing that I find really interesting is the relationship between Sparks and Kern, because it almost seems as if assistant director Kern is calling the shots. I mean, he certainly seems to be much more forcible in in how they're going to handle the Molly situation. That's right. It's almost
1: as if someone who's not quite as closely connected to Molly as Sparks is, needs to step in so that whatever the goal is reaches fruition without taking Molly's feelings into account too much. So he's like the, um, the less emotionally attached one.
0: Yeah. And certainly, I think we know that they know more than they've let on. I guess the question is how much do they know? Do they know the full true picture? And I kind of have my doubts. They might think they do, but I guess we'll see. That's a big part yeah, of it.
1: Yeah, you've said that a number of times that you don't think they really know what they're doing.
0: <laughs> All right. Now, Ethan again was a oh, I guess he's front and center of most episodes to a to a large extent outside of Molly, but you know, we keep seeing these little bits of his character and I think, ironically, using that word "character," I think we do need to fear him. And and the you know that parent at the school is certainly right in being fearful because we, the viewer, can really see that his moral behavior and his ethics do come into question. And, and you know we've seen it as the viewer when it's just him alone, but. Yeah, obviously it can't be long before it, it transcends to other people. But at the same time, I think they're keeping it purposely
1: ambiguous. Is this a kid being a kid or is it a robot doing things that they shouldn't do? And although alarm flags should be raised anyway, at the same time, they just keep it just on the edge so that
0: it makes us question ourselves. Yeah. Now, Julie in this episode is just really, I don't want to say a, a Bundle of nerves, but she certainly is worrying and not unnecessarily about Ethan and his foray into. Well, I guess it's not a public school. Oh well, no, maybe it is a public school because it's Ulysses S. Grant Elementary School.
1: Yeah, so she, is she rightfully worried, or is she being overprotective? Is a question that I guess could vary from viewer to viewer.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, this show is obviously about space and astronauts and all that. And John needs to come back to planet Earth because he is just <laughs> I mean, it, it's almost as if he's the one that's out of touch with reality. When when, you know, obviously, Molly's the one that's having you know, actual problems. Well, but, especially even if he's
1: right, he needs to understand that people are going to have these concerns and he yeah, does, I, he doesn't seem to understand it.
0: Right, because on the one hand, he's that stereotypical scientist that has blinders on that thinks he's smarter than everybody else and knows better than everybody else and just can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So the ISEA conspiracy is intensifying. Again, we don't know exactly what's going on there, but uh, he does come up with a pretty convincing story. And I like that line that we'll get to in a little bit that I'm going to tell her something more believable than the truth
1: that's right so yeah let's talk about that opening scene where apparently deputy director kern had tracked dr barton's car with a surveillance drone and i'm guessing that's because molly had taken out her tether okay that's what i'm guessing was the motivation for that
0: okay and figuring that the two of them are friends
1: yeah how did he connect it to barton that's a good question but he did end up at the vet hospital and went straight to that sonogram machine and scrolled through the animal fetuses until he got to the human one. And it's just strange to me though, that it would be saved because it would seem like Dr. Barton would have had to purposely hit the save button (laughs) as opposed to just getting a live view of the baby as, as you would think would be
0: normal. Well, right. And not to mention the fact that they knew that they had to go into this remote location because they were afraid of being watched. So why wouldn't you consciously erase it?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Let alone consciously save it. So there is that. And certainly the question that gets raised, and we brought it up last time, about the authenticity of the sonogram, that that's really not what it would look like. So, I mean, I guess they could excuse it that this is the future and this is the... This is what a sonogram looks like in whatever year this is supposed to be. Uh,
1: Yeah. In fact, let me just uh, mention that we did get an email that I didn't fit into our dark matter chatter segment, so I can bring it up now. Uh, He just wrote to us about 15 minutes ago. CanCon fan said, last week on the podcast, you mentioned the ultrasound did not look like current technology, but he noticed that the image is very reminiscent of Kubrick's 2001 star child. You remember that from the yeah, movie oh, sure. at the end? And it does seem in line with the themes so far, he said. So good point, CanCon fan. And the fact that the image kind of is striking is really all that matters rather than the uh, authenticity
0: yeah. of it. Yeah, and whether intentional or not, I really do like the sci-fi and cultural allusions that are seemingly apparent in the episode so far. And we'll we'll talk about some of those as we go along. All right, so... Kern asks Sparks what he's planning to do, and that kind of goes into, you know, what I was saying earlier about Kern seems to be the one that, that's, you know, making things happen here. We learn that Molly's been pregnant before. Yeah. So, so we yeah we get some answers, especially about Marcus, and, and we we assume Marcus was the father. Of that child of, that she of lost. Of that child. Apparently she was in the car with him when he was killed. Mm-hmm. And this was before he had a chance to go into space. And the question I have is, was this just an innocent accident or was this something that is part of this sinister plot that we seem to have found ourselves in the middle of? Yeah, you can't help but
1: wonder if it's part of the conspiracy. And the fact that Molly's infertility may have been caused by the accident, that possibly could be part of it as well that leads into... Her being a candidate for whatever was necessary for the alien to do what it wanted to do, assuming it's an alien.
0: Yeah, right. Because the infertility we now assume only has been with John.
1: Right. I don't feel like she just hit the lottery with Marcus. I feel like it was infertility caused by the accident.
0: Right. Well, we have a flashback. Actually, we have two during the the course of the episode, but... It starts with Molly and John in bed in the present, and then she flashes home to that day when she returns home, learning she's been unsuccessful once again in trying to have a child. And, you know, John appears pretty sympathetic, and, you know, he goes through the whole thing, says all the right things. Look, we can keep trying. We can stop trying. You know, it's, you know, maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe this is our fate, uh, whatever. And then he leads into that. Maybe there's another way.
1: Yeah. Has he been thinking of this all along, or is, yeah. is it just now occurring to him? That's the Yeah, and
0: we see Ethan in the background eating breakfast, and he looks the same age and size as he is now, right?
1: Yeah, so yeah. how long has he been in this body, and is he just home for a... Well, well I guess John's lab may have been still in that little workshop at that point, so... That could explain why he's in their
0: house. Right, because in this episode, we can't lose sight of the fact that the lab we see... Is
1: not the one he has in this time. Right. So yeah, it it could be that he's had this idea for a while, because if he's going to be programmed by a family, he says, why not this family? Because there have been people that were applying to do the beta test, and I have the feeling that John may have gotten a little bit more attached than he intended, or maybe he's just now able to take this as an excuse to insinuate himself on his own experiment.
0: Yeah, because he even says he's perfectly comfortable with all of the candidates. So it's not a question of uh, being afraid to let Ethan go into one of these families. But then Molly throws out there that she signed up for a rotation on the Seraphim. And I guess we have to wonder why she would do that without consulting John. And I, I mean, I guess... You can't get inside of her head, inside of her heart. Is, is she just heartbroken that she can't give this man a child that he wants, that they both want? It's like the equivalent of she wants to just be alone, but like yeah. for a whole year? <laughs> yeah. To just sort of mull over the state of her life. And then you listen to his reaction and it's like, you know, his reaction is almost too good to be true. Exactly. in in a number of times this episode. <laughs> Which then... Causes us to think, what's he hiding?
1: Yeah, he's he's a little bit too uh, nice about everything that Molly is going through, while at the same time being blind about Ethan's situation. So it's it's an interesting dichotomy there.
0: Yeah. Now, we, we also see that scene where we're back on the seraphim, and it's a scene we've seen before. Molly on the ground. Mark is standing over her, telling her it's okay. And I'm not sure why we needed to see that scene again. Though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Was that flashback actually a second one that was during her, right after she got her blood drawn, though?
0: Yes, right. Yeah,
1: so she had just gotten her blood drawn by Sam Barton, and she had that flashback. It was almost as though, the only thing I could think of why they included it was to let her know that, okay, you're feeling this pain, but everything's still going to be okay. But yeah, you're right. It did seem almost a little bit superfluous.
0: Right, as if Marcus is the one that's going to be there to support her through all of these things. And, and again, he's there. She conjures him up. Well, the other thing is this flashback happened
1: right before Tim showed up. Right. So she then went back downstairs and, and Tim came. So perhaps the flashback also was kind of foreshadowing Tim showing up as another apparition, although we don't know it at the time.
0: Right. And we don't know whether Harmon has seen anybody other than his mother.
1: Oh yeah. He may have been seeing other things too. Well, I mean, cause you can't uh, put aside the fact that he drew those circles on his wall. Right. And if we're only dealing with the circles as part of this pregnancy, then that doesn't explain why Harmon saw it. So yeah, you're right. He could have seen more than just his mother. He could have been seeing some people on earth as well that have been contributing to them perceiving his hallucinations as part of his brain abnormality.
0: Right. And you know, one of the other things we learn is that spark's daughter katie died apparently in space on a mission i mean was she part of this whole situation the
1: main thing is the brain scans and the hallucinations appear to be unique to harman and molly but yeah you're right we don't know because we just don't have enough details yet
0: uh, right we don't have anybody else's brain scan so <laughs> all right well one of the big plot points of this episode is that it's ethan's first day of school and we talked last time about that statement that he got in he got accepted and we were wondering whether or not it was just because it was a high class school or whether it was because he's an android and we get our answer tonight it's because he's an android
1: yeah because he because it's a public school as you mentioned
0: right and we get our answer do the other parents know what he truly is and the answer is of course yes they do know
1: yeah, so that's that's interesting, and I'm glad we got that cleared up.
0: <laughs> right, uh, but it, it's also interesting the fact that he's nervous that he won't know anybody, uh, and John has to go out, and he's going to be home alone for a few minutes. Gina's there. Uh, <laughs> Gina's, I guess,
1: isn't Gina just the computer for the home?
0: <laughs> um, she is, but you wonder what her. I guess how far her power spreads, (laughs) I mean, she probably controls virtually everything in the house from the alarm system. I'm almost surprised that Gina didn't control the doors and not allow him to go outside. Yeah. She knew the rules. Come on, Gina. Right. Well, (laughs) John makes him recite the rules. Don't go outside. Don't answer the door. And of course, as soon as John leaves, what does he do? He goes outside and he hesitates for a minute. So, you know, it's like he knows what he's doing is wrong.
1: Right. It's the temptation of seeing the bird walking around in the backyard. He can't resist it.
0: Right. What is it about birds? I know. What is this fascination he has? So you wonder what he's building, because obviously he goes and he starts pulling pieces together, and then you you, you see that he's building a basic trap, gets the pigeon, and of course we immediately think he's going to do what? Kill it. Yeah, oh, you know, and and I was kind of surprised that he didn't.
1: Yeah, it, it turns out it's kind of like a scientific curiosity at best. Yeah. Or a morbid fascination with death. And like right. I almost feel like he's exploring what does it mean to be alive and what does it mean to die and his subject happens to be birds, but that would indicate that it could be any animal. So the fact that it's birds specifically is why I think there might be more to it.
0: Yeah. Well, we mentioned it before. He goes to Ulysses S. Grant Elementary School, and I'm not sure if that's meaningful. I'm guessing not. I can't think of anything that. Nah, would be meaningful a nice generic,
1: it. a nice generic name.
0: John and Molly take Ethan on his first day, and he's got a student guide for the first day. That apparently he know he seems to know her, or the family. So I don't know if he's well because Bryn is her name. She
1: shows up later in the video. As the one who got her license, right. So she, I think she's the daughter of uh, a family friend or something. Cass Hendy, who's played by Tammy Roman. And the thing is, this is, these are things I would never know if I didn't actually look around on the internet. But, but yeah, she's a family friend, a child of a family friend. Yeah, happens to be a senior at that same school.
0: Well, in terms of another illusion, you know, we get the. Principal coming over, you know, John, Molly, I need to talk to you for a minute. And you've got the little group of parents that are concerned. And apparently they put it in the orientation packet to all the parents. The pre-orientation packet. The that, pre, yeah, right, that, by the way, there's an Android child. <laughs> and now the one father who's, you know, the, the one that's vocal says, well, this wasn't in it. So you wonder what they did put in it or.
1: Yeah. Was it just kind of glossing over it and now he's seeing seeing it for real And he's worried that it's a similar situation to the assembly line robots. He looks like he's a blue collar worker. Right. Where they have to put cages around them so that they don't maul somebody.
0: Right. And one of the things that I think comes out in this scene is, again, John is oblivious to the realities of people's true and understandable concerns. And in fact, he laughs it off. And I was really glad to see that father. It's like, what are you laughing at? This
1: is not funny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's Molly that has to step in and, and be the voice of reason when yeah. when the guy says, "Well, you said it was an illusion." He's a toaster with hair. A, a Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Reference there. <laughs> yep. Toasters,
0: but uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and like you said, Molly jumps in. It's like you know, maybe he is a toaster. Yeah. And 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 you know what? Some days I find myself. Yeah. Wondering, but you know what? At the end of the day, he's my son, and, and I think that really kind of softened the other parents. I'm not sure about the one guy, but... but No, they they
1: noticeably kind of softened, and I think it can't be helped, but notice that when she says he's not dangerous, he's just different, and you don't have to be afraid of different. I think the race of our main character comes into play here, because thinking of someone as different and not being afraid of different is exactly the kind of thing that uh, would have happened during the Civil Rights Movement.
0: Right, and of course, John just can't keep his mouth shut when he comes to get Ethan at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations.
1: Your daughter made friends with a toaster. Yeah. This is another example of where John is just, I mean, he kind of insulted people during his PowerPoint presentation. Now he's uh goading this guy who had objections to his son being at the school. I mean, come on, John, you got to have to some diplomacy here.
0: Well, right. I mean, it, it's being oblivious to the challenges that Ethan is going to face and, yeah, I mean, you can liken it to anybody that's different and the challenges he or she faces. And and why would you make it harder? Yeah. And, and we talked about how everything
1: he does with regard to Molly is so over the top understanding. And yet here he's the exact opposite with regard to Ethan. So it's just very strange to have these two parts of his personality being so different.
0: Yeah. Well... John's throwing Molly another party this time for the birthday that she missed while she's in space. And one, one
1: party per episode in this. Yes.
0: <laughs> and you know, they're, they're having a drink. She's in a beautiful red dress and Ethan calls him or actually Gina calls John and John immediately knows uh, he must need help with the bow tie. And then she immediately pours out her drink and I'm, you know, my wife goes, well, she's pregnant. I'm like, oh, of course.
1: <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's poured them a drink and wants to make sure that she's feeling loved. I mean, basically that opening scene when they were in bed, he was, you know, I know we just had a coming home party, but you missed your birthday. And so it's like, it's almost a little bit sickeningly sweet how, how. Or else
0: he, he feels guilty about something he did ah, while she was up there.
1: Perhaps. <laughs>
0: Good point. But, uh. But again, you know, just like he did right before he left, uh, recite the rules, you need to continue to be kind, be helpful, be trustworthy, none of which he is.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was, when was that? That was right before he went to
0: the party or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. he had just finished tying his bow tie. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, th- this is with, with Molly and John. This is the scene where uh, you know they're lying in bed. John tells her she should take the day off and do the one thing she wants most to do, which is hanky panky. <laughs> yeah, that—that's. That, she gives him that little look, but she goes for that run in a wooded area, and you know, runs faster than she's supposed to be in her onboard uh, monitor tells her she needs to slow down and, and all of this, and she says no, and um, <laughs> and then she stops, and we see a rocket blasting off in the distance, and we assume it's another astronaut going to Seraphim. I mean, we don't know how many stations that ISEA... Well, Sparks does
1: indicate that they're are at least 20 missions going on at a time. They're not necessarily all on board Seraphim because she was obviously alone. Right. But yeah, apparently in this time, ISEA is running all kinds of different space missions of one sort or another indeterminate. Right. But it's just that she smiles. It's like she sees that rocket blasting off. She feels a bond to her profession or is it beyond that is she is she feeling happy about it for some other reason but it it's just strange to me given what's going on with her recent return that she would still feel that way about missions to space
0: yeah i mean maybe it's concerned that that another astronaut's going to but she's smiling yeah well <laughs> sometimes you smile at things that you shouldn't but either way uh, sparks is waiting for and now he goes through his lie that sounds better than the truth.
1: Yeah, because once he's once he realized that Sam Barton did the sonogram, he knows there's no point in in trying to n- deny anything. But her his story is pretty darn good. It is. Even
0: get some nanotech in there.
1: Yeah, apparently he had he blamed the medical division that they had some kind of covert operation going on that he didn't know where they were conducting experiments on astronauts off the books where they were using her eggs fertilized by John and a nanotech of some sort was set to time release and reverse her inovulation problems such that she became pregnant. Now he does start to brush off some of her questions and just say, what I'm really, really concerned about is you right now so that he doesn't have to get too detailed because he doesn't really explain
0: why would that need to happen in space? Right. And and when she tells Sam that same story, Sam is incredulous that, you know, there's so much oversight in my division. There's no way that could happen. Yeah.
1: She has to fill out like seven requisitions just for the most minor of of things that she needs for clipboard, I think she says.
0: Right. And and I mean, I don't want to just brush that aside as, you know, the reaction of somebody that's just had to deal with all this bureaucracy. But I think we really do understand what sam is saying that look i'm I'm not going to be somebody that says that there couldn't be this covert operation going on without anybody else knowing but uh, you know i'm going to take sam at her word that it's probably very unlikely
1: but the interesting thing is that molly here with sam and also later with her husband insists that sparks has nothing to do with it because he practically resigned in my driveway She's, right. She says because he did say, "This is going to end a lot of careers, including mine."
0: Yeah, and you know he says that at least twice. Yeah, to, to her. And is that just part of the drama? It is. Yeah. 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 He's clearly not going to be fired over this. <laughs> right now, Molly's going to go find Harmon to tell him because she's sure they must have tested something on him. Obviously, not the same thing as not fertility. As, <laughs> not fertility, but the. Uh, Either way. All right. So she goes to Harmon's house and look, I, I think we all thought the same thing, that when she went back to the back of his trailer and pulled that curtain aside, we were going to see Harmon hanging. Yeah.
1: Or something that would
0: indicate that he took his own life as opposed to just being killed. Right. Right. Well, I
1: assumed he would be hanging, but that... They, but, some, that that somebody, he was murdered. <laughs> that he was
0: murdered. Right. Exactly.
1: It was made to look like an, a suicide. Oh, yeah, exactly right. That's exactly what my thought was. But behind the curtain is instead the drawing of the rings that we saw protruding under her top in episode two. And it's kind of interesting because I kind of linked that to her pregnancy and I'm not sure why Harmon would also see those. Maybe he's seeing them in visions rather than on his actual body or or maybe they got to him in some other way other than uh, a
0: pregnancy. Right. But either way, uh, clearly they're important in some way. Now, she's being followed by the standard big black vehicle flashing its light. Um, I'm not sure why she would pull over, but yeah. she does pull over. She didn't seem very concerned, even. No, now It's Deputy Director Kern returning her tether. And, you know, put it in when you get a chance. The <laughs> sparks will feel a lot better knowing that you're being monitored. Yeah, I bet he will. Uh, apologizes for frightening her when in fact, I think that's exactly what he was trying to do. Yeah. Cause he's, he's got a different approach
1: than Sparks does. Sparks wants to give her this story, throw himself on his sword and get it so that he can bring her in quietly. Whereas Kern wants to intimidate her in to just rounding her up and pulling her in. In fact, I think he even says, Kern does to Sparks, you're a good friend, <laughs> meaning yeah. you're being too
0: nice. Yeah. Now, what does Sam hope to accomplish with the DNA test? That's a good question. The paternity of the child? Yeah. It's like
1: they didn't actually mention it. They just did it. And so we're like, wait, what? (laughs) What's what's this? But yeah, I I assume the result is going to be finding out that John is not the father.
0: Right. And since the test only is going to take two hours, according to Sam, I assume we're going to find out the answer next episode. And that'll be a big part of the the plot line, and I deliberately did not watch the previews this week. So Good, good, good. <laughs> so.
1: One thing we also should mention about that DNA test is it seems to have prompted the rings to show up on Molly's arm as well. And I do have a question about that, whether or not it's because Sam drew blood, because, you know, I think we've been expecting only to see the rings on her abdomen. And the fact that we saw them on the site where she drew the blood and then she, of course, has that flashback to the seraphim with Marcus saying it's okay. I think that's meaningful. Okay. So I'm not sure if it's protecting her. Like I said, it could. is it moments of stress that caused the rings to show up?
0: That yeah, that's of- what I was going to mention. Did Did you think it was stress? And Because it does seem to accompany periods of stress. So I think we'll find out in short order. But it does prompt the flashback to the seraphim with
1: Marcus. And then coincidentally or not... She goes downstairs and lets her friends in, and then behind them is Tim, who has been missing for eight years. She hasn't seen him in ages, and he says he's on furlough for six weeks. Now, they mention a boat a couple times in connection with him. I'm not sure if that means he's on furlough from the Navy or if it's something else, but he's been on a boat, in other words.
0: Right, because wherever they live, there's water, obviously, because they have that little pier or dock or whatever right outside their house. Uh-huh. Uh, so we assume they live perhaps near a naval base. I mean, look, maybe they live in Florida. It's you know, Obviously, they live near one of the big space centers. So whether it's uh, – oh, yeah. what, what are they calling it now? Is it back to Cape Canaveral? <laughs> I don't remember.
1: In I Florida? think
0: so. I think so. And then, of course, the Johnson Space Center in Houston. But either way, we've got no reason to think it's not real. And that he's not real, until she mentions to her husband near the end of the party about Tim being there, and the husband, Tim, Tim's not here. Yeah, and then, that guy with the
1: boat. What are you talking
0: about? Oh, and then what a what a great scene when she just goes over and touches the what was it? She touched a mirror. Or, she and, she
1: was bringing up the picture that Charlie took right of the whole group, and, and of he course was he's not, not there. there. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, wow.
1: But it's weird because he has this whole conversation with her, apologizing for not being there when Marcus died. And then perhaps on reflection, when now that we know that Tim might not have actually been there, it brings a new meaning to the conversation about, have you ever seen Marcus? And she kind of goes, what? (laughs) I know, I know it's not real, but sometimes I see him in strangers' eyes and it always seems to be sending me a message. And Molly is like, what kind of message? So it has this other meaning for Molly. And once we find out that he is a phantom of sorts, it makes you wonder what, what was that conversation really about? And why was he there? Why did he show up?
0: Yeah. Now, does the power going out mean anything? I I, I think not.
1: Uh, I can't answer that because it's part of my prediction. <laughs> okay. All
0: right. But yeah,
1: it, right after the group photo that Charlie takes, it sends John... Over to check out the circuit breakers, and th- this sets up not only a furthering of the plot with Ethan, but also a uh, furthering of the main plot with Molly's secret. So good stuff. Oh, okay,
0: okay. <laughs> boy, if you want to keep a secret, don't tell Ethan.
1: <laughs> That's right. Right. But what a creepy shot of Ethan when John discovers that pigeon still alive under the box. Oh yeah, backlit, and even after he goes up to Ethan, it's it's lit from b- below. And Ethan just looks like Damien from the Omen. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh yeah. So now I guess I thought John went a little bit overboard. You got a house full of guests. Okay. You you found out your wife's keeping secrets from you. I'm storming upstairs. <laughs> yes, and I'm gonna sit on the bed and pout and uh <laughs> You know, anyway, it, it comes out finally. She tells him I'm pregnant, and and you know we go through the whole reaction. And well, why would you be afraid to tell me? Because I didn't think you'd believe me. It's like, why wouldn't I believe? It's like, dude, <laughs> come on. Why would anyone believe that story? Yeah, but
1: also he actually brings up a good point with regard to Molly lying about this, or at least keeping it secret, because she said what she said to Ethan. He has to point out to her, listen. He's getting exactly what we give him. And if you tell him it's okay to keep secrets, he's going to keep secrets. Sure. He reflects what we give him. And so he's kind of resentful, not only of her keeping secrets, but he says, if, you know, if you need to keep secrets, fine, but don't bring our son into this. And I think that's a valid point. Even after she does reveal the secret, it, it really is something that may have already taken its course with Ethan. So um, he's very sympathetic about her situation and very understanding about it doesn't say well who's the father i mean it, that doesn't even come up right so yeah very very interesting reaction from him so
0: all right now one of the characters that we don't see a lot but i think is really going to turn out to be one of the more pivotal characters in the show is of course julie and this episode, we see her more than anything, just simply obsessing over Ethan's experience, particularly at his new public school. And that whole idea that she brings out about the you know nature versus nurture, that there's no nature with Ethan. Right. It's, it's all nurture and kids his age are not nurturing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a definitely a good point and does combat the feeling that she's being overprotective. Because there there is no nature. There's no DNA that's determining his personality. It's all what he's receiving, like we just said. Right. Now, Charlie brings up a good point that obviously they couldn't stay in the lab forever. But Julie seems to think that John took him away prematurely to insinuate him into their family. And she doesn't like that. I think that's also a kind of an emotional reaction for her. If, well, right. if we're correct about her sort of having a thing for John.
0: Right, because we know John, uh, Ethan was already living with John and Molly when when she had that flashback, and this was you know obviously before they decided to make him a permanent part of their family. So it's almost as if her reservations have to do with him being thrown out there too soon, when he's already been thrown out there to a to a
1: large extent. Well, and we don't know how long, because she does mention right. that when she was reading the Velveteen Rabbit to him. He was not even in a body. So there was a certain amount of time when he was just in a computer. And I'm not sure where that computer was, wherever their lab was, wherever their workplace was. But um, obviously he he may have only been in that body for a little while before John came up with his plan to adopt.
0: Right. Now you mentioned uh, reading the book to him when he didn't have a body yet. And we see in this episode uh, something, again, I think pretty significant that she's playing a matching computer game with Lucy which is the AI that at this point is just a head and that apparently this is the current project and and I guess this is going to have a female persona so that are they going to try to raise this this AI as a female
1: right and I think this might be not sure how new Lucy is but it might be part of the whole partnership with Yasumoto That they're developing more humanics now, but there's definitely a difference. Lucy is learning much faster, perhaps could be considered to be more competitive than Ethan, according to Charlie. So I'm not sure that's a good thing. I kind of felt worried that Lucy might end up being even worse than Ethan in some
0: ways. Yeah, so the military will end up with the male AI. And, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> A little Orphan Black reference yeah, for you. There. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, but either way, that they've clearly made some significant breakthroughs with Lucy, that, that she's much more competitive than Ethan, faster learning than he was. And that's to be expected, I would think. Why is that
1: expected? Why do you think so?
0: Well, I, I just think that they have learned what it is they're doing. In other words, they create an AI. Well, theoretically, if we expose him to all these experiences, we assume he will learn just the same way. Well, well, it can't all have gone smoothly. That's true. (laughs) You know, so that I think they learned from their mistakes. And now with Lucy, they're bypassing those steps uh, of the process that, you know. And and they have a fancier lab too. And they have a fancier lab and, and obviously much, much more money. Now, one of the scenes I thought was the funniest, and and again, there aren't very many funny scenes in this (laughs) show, and that is Charlie teaching Ethan the robot. (laughs) The dance of his ancestors. And (laughs) Julie scolds him for it. Come on, Jules.
1: Yeah, Charlie is definitely going to be the comic relief in the show, I get the feeling. Uh, So,
0: yeah, that was a nice little scene. Right, but him being in school, Ethan, that is, it's precisely what John wants. In other words, no control over the stimulus. Whereas Julie's concerned that they can't control it. And I disagree with a lot of what John says and does. But if you want this AI to essentially become human, and I'm making finger quotes, then you can't control the stimuli and the experiences. But at the same time, John, in that argument with Julie, insists
1: that they can balance out the bad input that he may get from other children with good input. And I think that's a little naive.
0: Well, but on the other hand, isn't that what any parent is faced with in reality? I mean, your child comes home and says a bad word that he or she heard at school. Yeah. And you as the parent you know, instruct them, no. No that's not good, here's why, and here's what you need to do, and if it happens again. So, I mean, I guess I took his response to mean something like that. And and there can be
1: no good without bad, no black without white, that kind of thing. So they need to have both sides of the coin.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Julie finds Ethan in bed during the party, and he's got the book that she read to him even before he got his body. And of course, obviously, we're we're just like, please hold it up so we can see what the book is. And of course she does. And it's the Velveteen Rabbit. And not having kids myself and being an old geezer, I couldn't remember what it was about. So I had to look it up.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's definitely relevant. And of course, first of all, we should mention that he gets his nickname Rabbit, obviously from this experience that he had. Right. But also the Velveteen Rabbit, it's a story about a stuffed rabbit who strives to become real, through the love of its owner. And this is something that's kind of a mythos amongst the toys that this child in the story owns. The Velveteen Rabbit is kind of a, not a very favored toy, but then becomes the favorite toy against all odds, but then has to be discarded once the child contracts Scarlet Fever. But because the Velveteen Rabbit was able to get that love and get that top spot, uh, the, uh, I can't remember the name. It's some kind of yeah. fairy grants uh, the Velveteen rabbit life and be, he becomes a rabbit. So obviously that's going to have implications with a robot becoming a real boy. I mean, they just as easily could have used the Pinocchio story. <laughs> sure. sure. All
0: right. Well, uh, lastly, we, we'll take a little uh, look at Sparks. And, you know, when we talk about Sparks in this episode, Kern seems to be not far behind and kern's concerned that molly's digging around and is going to compromise whatever it is they're doing and and again we still don't really know what that is but they've pretty much mobilized (laughs) a lot of forces to support whatever it is they're doing sparks wants to bring her in in a less intrusive manner if kern had his way they just go out and take her with that swat team that we see go into their home at the very end of the episode
1: yeah and And of course, with all the stuff that's going on at ISEA as well, that's the kind of roundup he would like, but it's Sparks that mentions that there's something going on with her brain that's similar to what Harmon Krieger went through. And so Molly actually does at the end of the party, after she realizes that Marcus's brother was not really at the party, she tells John, whatever's going on in my brain is getting worse fast. And so they agree to call Sparks to come pick her up. And that's what's very telling about Sparks's approach is that he almost, almost was correct, if not for Sam Barton.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, Sam goes to her lab uh, at ISEA and, you know, there's a guard there. And, and what she finds is that they're removing all of her files. And we even hear one of the people in the background specifically mention any files related to Molly Woods, And there you see a guy carrying out her iMac, and I'm like, hey, dude, I'll take that. (laughs) Um, But she, Sam, that is, calls John, and then she texts Molly, get out of the car.
1: Right. I mean, the the, the reaction is a bit strong. She wants her to get out of Sparks' car because she realizes that he's involved with what's ever going on here at the office, which I think is a pretty big leap. She happens to be correct but it could have just e- easily been Deputy Director Kern and Sparks was as innocent as Molly thought. Um, but we're glad that Sam did give him give her that warning, of course.
0: Right, but they used that hazmat story and, and you almost expected Sam to go, really? <laughs> Chemical leak? Come Is that on. the best you could come up with? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so then we're not sure what's going to happen and we realize that the... SWAT team comes into their home and that John and Ethan, you know, have gotten out and we presume that the three of them are together. Right. And the director is
1: with that SWAT team as well. So clearly, yeah, it was his intent to just sort of use it as a ruse. He has some interesting strategies though, mentioning his daughter, Katie, like you mentioned, we do get that extra detail that she did die in space. So whatever sacrifice she made was something to do with being in space and he kind of blames his oversight of this supposed conspiracy to the fact that he has to keep so many missions going on at the same time. And the most alarming thing for me anyway, is that now he's the second person besides Ethan to see the circles under Molly's sweater. Okay. So he's obviously going to be taking that data back to Yasumoto. Yep. We saw the circles, <laughs> if he, assuming he knows what they are.
0: Yeah. And you just mentioned his name. It, it didn't even occur to me that we didn't see him at all in this episode.
1: Right. In fact, uh, let's go into some of the questions that we have to wrap up our discussion here. All right. No Yasumoto this week. How does he weigh in on all, on all this? How, yeah. come, how come he wasn't strategic in bringing Molly in?
0: Right. Um, you know, we mentioned already, what's the DNA test going to actually show? Is it paternity? Why did Kern send the surveillance drone to follow Barton in the first place? And, you know, what the heck is his deal anyway? <laughs> what is Kern's deal? Yeah. We have to wonder,
1: where is Harmon? Why was he missing? Is he dead in an alley somewhere? And why did he draw those circles on his wall? How or, how do those circles appear to him?
0: Or did he just happen to go to Walmart <laughs> because <laughs> he was out of like whatever? <laughs> All right, so why is Ethan fascinated with birds and, you know, the question of his intent and I guess I have this feeling that it's more negative than not. It's not just scientific curiosity. No. I wanted to play with it.
1: <laughs> Cuz you know, that's something kids would do. And that's why I think I think it's great what they're doing with Ethan because obviously the lighting and the camera angles and all that insinuate that it's all malicious, but it could just be that he's yeah. Being, a, being a kid. <laughs> yeah, true. So one of the other questions of, is, of course, Tim. And why is the Tim hallucination different? He w- didn't have the limited vocabulary of the phantoms in space. So is he the same kind of thing? Is he tied into that? Is he alien? Or is he part of some other hallucination, part of the brain scan ab- abnormalities, that type of thing?
0: Yeah. Now, with the Woods family on the run, is Ethan going to continue to go to school? Are they going to set up shop? somewhere else in another city somewhere and, and where in fact would they go that they can't be trapped that we assume she didn't put her tether back in. I I assume (laughs) she's smart enough not to do that. And also
1: why would you set up that whole thing with Ethan going to school if they weren't going to continue using that? Right. That, that's the one thing that would be strange if he stopped going. Right. Uh, what's going to happen to Sam because she did not escape. She's been detained. And so what's going to happen to her now is she going to be our vehicle for learning what's really going on, perhaps? And is she going to be able to get information out
0: to Molly? I have four letters for you for Sam. What? P-A-W-N. <laughs> She'll be used. Yes, I, I really do. I think she's going to be used to try to get to Molly and, and to, you know, contact her somehow. And but uh, But again, I think they're close enough, Molly and Sam, that is, that Molly will sense that something's not right yeah
1: hopefully (laughs) and of course lastly why do the circles show up at specific times not just on the abdomen but on her arm as well is that strategic or does it happen randomly we mentioned it might happen in times of stress but we're not sure about that so but anyway let's go ahead and get on to our predictions segment
0: I know you wanted to get to your prediction there in the middle of that uh, one discussion. So why don't you go ahead and start first with your prediction for this week?
1: Okay, Dave, you mentioned that perhaps the power outages didn't really mean anything. Well, (laughs) I might disagree. And I think I probably would have agreed with you about that. It did seem strange that in this future world that that would happen. But if you listen closely in the background, you hear someone say that's the third time this month. That this happened. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, what's that all about? And then I'm thinking solar flares and the fact that that can also have an electric electromagnetic pulse dealing with it too. So you know how Yasumoto said they're already here. Perhaps the aliens are arriving on earth through these solar flares. Cause I still think the solar flare is a vehicle of some kind okay. for, for them and that they're an energy being. So my prediction is that the power outages are significant and that they're caused by the solar flares slash alien beings. Okay. And that that will be revealed at some point.
0: All right. Well, my prediction is grounded a little more firmly in Terra Nova. Okay. (laughs) And, And my prediction is that Julie is going to completely freak out at what she sees happening to Ethan and she's going to kidnap him. Oh, at some point. And it will turn out to be a good move for the wrong reason. So, in other words, I think she is going to be so overly concerned with his experience, his learning being misdirected, but it's going to have broader implications. But just in terms of the prediction, she's going to kidnap him.
1: Okay, yeah, because I could see that then if Molly were to be compromised or John and then Ethan were outside of that because Julie had kidnapped him, that kind of R- thing.
0: Right. And I'm not convinced that Ethan isn't part of some bigger plan that's...
1: Well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting if they brought the two plot lines together somehow in an unexpected way? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would not, wouldn't put it past them to do that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get on to predictions from our listeners in our Dark Matter Chatter We have a a very large number of feedback. Now, on the one hand, I'm very pleased by this, (laughs) that we have so much feedback for our dark matter chatter segment. But at the same time, uh, I just want to make sure people realize I'm only going to be reading excerpts from some of these. I just like to keep the pacing of our podcast uh, to a a certain tempo, I guess you could say. (laughs) So uh, don't be offended if I edit out some of what you said, but I did want to include all the different feedback contributions that we got. So let's start here with Alex from the UK. And Alex, I combined your email from last week with the one that you sent us this week so that we could get a little bit of each in here. He says, I'm a great big conspiracy nut for genre shows, so bear with my nutty theories. First, Yasumoto was in a pod with orange goo stuff inside, and then he took a test on life expectancy. And second, Krieger saw his dead mother just as Molly saw a dead lover. Do we have a possible undead story on our hands rather than an alien story? One that is explained somewhat scientifically rather than supernaturally, because that would be epic. (laughs) Also, what is Ethan's fascination with birds? First he found a dead bird and then captured one. I also feel like Julie thinks herself as Ethan's mother, especially with the whole bedtime story scene. Does she give off that megalomaniac vibe to you guys too? Yes, Alex. <laughs> As for Tim not really being there, how the hell does that work? I found it so creepy when he talked about Marcus always being there. Usually that's a comforting line to people who have lost somebody, but that just added more creepy to the cake. And that's that's true, Dave. He actually mentioned something about Marcus will always be watching over us. And it's like, ooh, I don't know if we want that.
0: Right. But again, is that just Molly's imagination? <laughs> yeah. That's saying that. And then as far as the bird goes, you know, I I think I'm coming over to your line of thinking, which is just it's a young boy being a young boy. And sometimes they their curiosity just gets the better of them. Yeah. So. All right. Well, Ode to Spot sent us in an email and says "Uh, another great episode of Extant. Just watched it on Amazon Prime and can't wait to hear your podcast during my morning commute next week. I noticed Julie's reaction to John when Julie brought him coffee, as well as Julie's reaction to Molly and Ethan. Maybe Julie wants to be Ethan's mother figure. I think we all agree on that one. Yeah. Uh, An interesting parallel between Molly and Ethan, John and Julie were remotely monitoring Ethan's vitals in the lab. Turns out Molly had some sort of halo device monitoring (laughs) her health and she removed it.
1: Yeah, the tether.
0: Yep. Yep. Also, you gave the viewer count for the first two extant episodes so far. Does that include Amazon viewers? No, it doesn't. No, it does not. Right. Uh, I DVR the show, but by the time I get around to watching it, I just end up watching it through my Amazon Prime subscription, mainly because it gives me more options for watching on several different devices rather than just our living room TV. I bet there are quite a few other viewers who may catch up on Prime instead of watching live. And you mentioned that at the beginning of the show tonight, that that the numbers we're giving are the next day numbers. Yeah, it's like same day, what do they call
1: that? live plus same day? Yeah, exactly. Not the plus three. Right. So, yeah. And I I assume Amazon Prime isn't even included in that. Right. So, but yeah, good points about the similarities between Ethan's monitoring and and, uh, Molly's not monitoring. Although I imagine that Tether is gone for good now. Now, Christopher Bork, who is just a, a wonderful fan of ours on both the Continuum podcast and one of our first fans here for Dark Matter, says, is it possible that the seraphim is a metaphor related to the testing for man to make the next logical leap in evolution?
0: Yes, and and I think I mentioned that.
1: Yeah, you did. He says, in the Bible, a seraphim touched Isaiah on the lips, and in so doing, Isaiah's iniquity was taken away and his sin was forgiven. Have Molly and Harmon both been enhanced physically in some way, and now their physical flaws have been corrected? Was it always the plan for Molly to be struck unconscious by her experience and her enhancement to be tested in the form of a fertilization? If she could now become pregnant, would that confirm that that part of the experiment worked? Both Harmon and Molly were conducting very similar experiments and had very eerie encounters, and their brain scans both reveal that they've been physically changed. Molly, in the extreme, since she was infertile before and now is inexplicably pregnant, Yasumoto said Harmon was too erratic, but Molly's pregnancy changes everything. Food for thought. And I think that's true, Christopher, is the fact that the brain scan abnormalities might not be a bad thing. It might be an enhancement. But he has a prediction, and a couple of our listeners gave us predictions, which is really cool. His is, we will meet someone else soon that has had similar experiences to those of Molly and Krieger, with 20 other missions and astronauts rotating in and out. I can't believe those two would be the only ones to have odd happenings. This new person will reveal answers for us, but will likely bring up new questions as well. And I like that. That's similar to my prediction about a third faction showing up. He says there's a third astronaut who's been changed in some way.
0: Right. And, and it can't help but make me think that Katie's death, oh. you know, is somehow relevant as well. All right. Zuber Xerox says, Ethan as an android, has all sorts of sensors, as we learned. Are those sensors in their sensitivity equal to a human senses? If not, can he hear, see, and do everything else a lot better than a human can? That's a good point. A bionic child. You know, child. <laughs> you know I, I really hadn't thought of that, and, and that seems so fundamental. Mm-hmm. All right. That would have huge implication on the plot. Also, if he can see, obviously, and his sensory activity can be monitored remotely— is what he sees and maybe hears recorded somewhere, like with a CMR on Continuum. Yeah.
1: There you go. We wondered about that, how ha- about how, I think we mentioned something about the fact that why don't they have audio pickup on Ethan's uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> sensory thing? Exactly. All right. So his prediction, I think Sparks and Yasumoto are plotting something against the they, and I think for some reason, humanics, especially Ethan, will turn out to be a big part in that. Wherever those missions were in space, I think it's where Sparks and Yasumoto suspected the astronauts to come into contact with the they.
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on, Zub Xerox. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Uh, we
1: also heard from Stuart, and he says, Hi, Mike and Dave. Did you notice that the apparitions that appeared to Molly and Krieger did not float when they were in the, in the uh, zero gravity area of the, of the station, but had their feet firmly planted on the deck? wonder what that means. And in fact, Zub Xerox included that in one of his earlier emails as well, said, if they are not just visions or hallucinations, they have to have some sort of physical mass or properties. Where else would the water for the footsteps on the floor come from? So yeah, that's interesting. I think that's because of the fact that they were dealing with the astronaut's perception that they just dealt with gravity as if, as if it was there, no matter where they were in the, in the station. Yeah. And obviously their actual corporeal being, whatever it is, energy or whatever, is not affected in that
0: way. That's just how the astronauts were seeing it. All right, well, Amaram brings up something at the beginning uh, that we've talked about the last couple weeks. I didn't like the ultrasound scene. I almost stopped watching at that point. They got it so wrong. You touched on it in the podcast. A 14-week-old fetus is viewed through a vaginal ultrasound. It is too small to see in the abdominal one, and the fetus at this stage is not as developed as they've shown on the screen. How could they have gotten it so wrong on the show? Maybe it was staged, as you suggested on the podcast, and the very obvious mistakes were made to clue us in. I did like the fact that Ben is still around, even in the second episode, off the Seraphim when Molly accesses it at her workstation. Is he going to be a recurring character? Is he a type of mainframe for ISEA? Who did he report to in real time that Molly's accessing the previous mission logs and ordered him to stop displaying the video feed to her? Yeah, like,
1: did someone clue into the fact that she was looking at the lab cameras and say,
0: Ben, stop her from that, (laughs) you know? I hope we get to see more of Ben. Interestingly, IMDb lists the cast character of Ben as appearing in only one episode. Dude, (laughs) don't look at IMDb. (laughs) It'll ruin things for you. Yes. All right, predictions. Yasumoto does not want to see the Humanics Project to conclusion just wants to use the prototype, Ethan, to extend himself into that android body. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great prediction. That's one of the things I brought up as a possibility very early on. Yes. Julie is going to continue to, very bluntly, demonstrate her one-sided crush on John, actively sabotaging Molly and John's relationship, lethal attraction style. You know, I I think he means fatal attraction style. (laughs) I, I, I thought that at the beginning. I don't think it's so much now. I think her attraction is solely to ethan and not to john
1: hmm. now, i don't know if i agree with you on that okay but I, the, the
0: alien connection will drag on and on x-files style ethan will continue some of the behavior from the pilot hurt animals his friends and his family both emotionally and physically and i definitely have to agree with you there i think we're going to see him uh, exhibit a lot more negative behavior than positive in the next couple weeks But it's
1: interesting that Amaram brought up X-Files in that feedback because Kevin was wanting to draw a lot of parallels there. He says, I missed it until you mentioned it in your podcast, but Director Sparks' comment, that means they're already here, is an echo from one of the original shows in this genre. In a pivotal moment in the X-Files, a shadowy figure named Deep Throat tells Agent Mulder that they have been here for a long, long time Maybe this reference was unintentional, but I really appreciate it. I don't think it was unintentional. We've seen a lot of nods to other sci-fi shows in this. So we brought up the fact that we had the the uh, toaster reference for BSG in this episode, and also didn't Lucy say something like, uh, "Do you want to play another?" Almost like the uh, computer in war games. Yeah,
0: I think Emily (laughs) mentions that, and we'll get to that in a second. And then, of course, I I think the drawing that he did of his family in space to avoid extinction is a nod to Battlestar Galactica as well. Right. So
1: Kevin has one question about Yasumoto. He has a machine that tells him his projected life expectancy. It'll be interesting to see if his remaining life ever goes up, indicating that he's doing something to prolong it. I think you're spot on with the theory that he'd like an Android body. Yeah, I definitely think we'll see that little finger tool uh, that tells him how long he has to live again. Uh, Third, Kevin was really intrigued by the use of color in episode two, particularly in Molly's house, the furnishings, her clothing, the walls. Everything is tan, brown or warm gray. And yeah, I noticed that too, Kevin. I think a lot of uh, people have pointed that out on social media. But the space scenes are full of blue and black undertones, which really helps set these scenes apart as a different time and place. I'm liking how the set designers made this decision to help emphasize how unnatural the environment at Seraphim Station is. I knew I'd seen this somewhere before, and eventually I remembered that it was on the show Awake, where the protagonist can never tell if he's awake or dreaming. But the color scheme in each of his two worlds is very different. And I think that's going to come into play, Kevin, because we're now with the Tim encounter in this episode is going to make us question what molly is seeing at all times
0: yeah all right well we also heard from emily who a lot of our listeners may know also as foamy once and she says i listened to your review of extinct just hours before episode three air and i swear if it weren't for podcasts i wouldn't know that there are things i was missing the name spielberg alone should have led to my awakening but apparently i still have much to learn Dave, your comment about subtle and not-so-subtle shout-outs to other sci-fi works resonated with me. I didn't get the BSG stuff, still on my list to watch, but this week I found Lucy's question, shall we play again, to be quite similar to Joshua's shall we play a game from War Games? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Which is equally as telling as the How 9000 feel Ben has. Again, laying the groundwork of possibility rather than any immediate threat, I was glad they didn't drag out Molly's secret any longer. But I was also pleasantly surprised that, they, that we got background on Ethan's installment into the family. Giving Molly the chance to stand up for her son reinforces ideas she's known cognitively, but perhaps is never internalized. I'm really interested to see this family dynamic when they are supposedly on the run. There have got to be things that will improve between them all now that secrets have been aired. Yeah. I don't watch promos, and based on hints you all have laid down, I think I may be wrong about this, but it just seems less likely to me after this episode that John cheated on Molly. Yes, I agree with you. It seems more likely that he was pursued. He seems too protective of Ethan's development in order to risk what an affair would do to his perception of the world. But who knows? Thanks, guys, and as always, it's such a pleasure to listen to your conversations. And, you know, I think the thing... That I'm I'm getting more and more about John. Why was he not more upset that she signed up for a 13-month mission? Well, then he can just work full-time on his project and just yeah. throw himself headlong without having to worry about coming home for dinner and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, but it does bring, I don't know how long after their conversation that she did go up on the Seraphim, but she probably didn't have very much time to create any kind of motherly bond with him anyway. So uh, I think that does give a a nice background, like she said. So I'm glad we saw that. And I do hope that once they're on the run, they'll start to bond a little bit more. Uh, Next, we hear from Mike, son of Krychek Gorham, who has some more thoughts with regard to X-Files. He says, I have a few thoughts of similarities between Extant and X-Files. Firstly, Sparks is a cross between Bill Mulder, the sacrifice of his daughter for the greater good, and reverse Walter Skinner. Skinner was thought to be a pawn and no good, but then became a loyal friend and confidant. We never got to see Sparks be that good guy. And now he's a Skinner, Director Kirsch mix. He'll be gone by the end of the season. (laughs) That's an interesting thought. With Sparks' sacrifice, it makes me think of the clinical hybridization process that the syndicate performed when they had their alliance with the aliens giving up one of their children so the plan could continue. And as I read this, I'm like, you're totally right, Mike. This has a lot of X-Files parallels. There is no syndicate as of right now, but I think that would be too much for the first half of season one anyway. And lastly, a government-induced pregnancy on an employee without consent. Although Scully was abducted by aliens, both were supposedly barren as well. Molly better not get cancer. <laughs> oh, this is taking me back, Mike, to uh, X-Files. That's all for now, guys. Take care and watch out for the black oil. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> all right. So uh, we have a voicemail from Yogabon.
1: Yeah. And she people know Benita from the Fringe podcast, and we've had her on the Continuum podcast a couple of times. She called in with this voicemail about some symbology that she sees. So let's take a listen.
2: Hey, this is Bonita in Atlanta, Yogabon on Twitter and at AOL. I uh, wanted to talk about the trapping of the bird by Ethan. I think it was very symbolic. He was feeling trapped in the house. They would just leave him caged. Uh, a normal little boy, they would not leave home alone like that. And he was also probably aware, become more cognizant of the fact that he is being experimented on. And that was why he was doing it, uh, probably planning, I would imagine, to do some experiments on the bird. Although I don't know that for sure, that's just what I suspect. So that was the symbolism I wanted to talk about. And the other thing that was uh, another thing that appeared on uh, or Molly's stomach, the character Molly's stomach, and also on her arm as she got that little injection, and then on the wall in the home. I think those circles represent spheres represent of uh, human experience, and it's some kind of programming. In fact, possibly what's going on with her pregnancy: is she is pregnant with an intelligent life that is going to grow organically from seed. So that's my theory. Sticking with it. Love what you guys are doing with the program. Love what's going on at Golden Spiral Media. This is Yoga
1: Bond Namaste. Calling from the Inner Circle. All right, Dave. So experimenting with the bird because he feels caged. Do you think Ethan might feel a little bit caged in his circumstances?
0: Uh, you know, I-, I can see it on the one hand, but I- I'm going to go no. Okay. I-, I don't agree with that because, you know, I think he does realize that he's got free will, that he can do what he wants. The rule says you don't leave the house, but I can reach up, open the door and walk out. Okay. I do think Yogaban is correct,
1: though, about the circles being symbolic in some way. I'm not exactly tracking with what she's referring to here about human experience spheres and things like that, but I definitely think the circles were not chosen at random. So we're going to have to keep our eye on that and see, see what those circles mean. And thank you so much to everyone who contributed something to our dark matter chatter segment this week. Uh, It's really great to see so many people thinking along the same lines we are, and we hope you will continue to send in that feedback for our future shows. And we'll get as many in there as we can in one form or another. But that's it, Dave, for this edition of the dark matter extant podcast. Everyone, please keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Dark Matter GSM. Lots of stuff going on there every day. And also follow along with the other Golden Spiral Media podcasts by
0: following GSM Podcasts. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Episode 4 of Extant, entitled Shelter. And in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone or call 304-837-2278.
1: And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode of Dark Matter, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys next weekend. We'll have a later podcast for you guys a recording on Friday night. So get that feedback in and we'll talk to you guys then.